Oh, are they? I knew that. I was testing you. Happy to help. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I love uh, wisdom literature in the Bible. So like Psalms, Proverbs, uh, Song of Songs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. And uh, yeah, I've, I don't know, maybe it's the artist in me. Um, poetry. I like reading poetry. And that's pretty much what the wisdom literature is full of, Hebrew poetry. And so uh, th- this week we're going to kind of do a one-off where we're going to step away. I know uh, Eric started walking you all back through Daniel again last week, I believe. And I was gone because my children had the great lice attack of 2022. Um, don't worry. We are lice-free, I promise. Hopefully. Just kidding. We are. I'm messing with you. I don't want to make you nervous. Cootie-free. That's what they used to call it. Cooties, yeah. Um, and, and so we're going we're gonna to do a one-off. And, and what I want to do is, is I want to walk through a few uh, verses in Ecclesiastes. But I wanted to kind of give a warning beforehand. If you've never read Ecclesiastes before, without fully understanding it, it is a very depressing book. It is very down-to-earth, it is very blunt, and at times, unless you understand it fully, it's very pessimistic. So I'm going to read Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump in. But I just like giving that heads up beforehand. Um, I'm probably always drawn to books like this because I am a naturally pessimistic person. I like to think it's because I'm a realist. But my wife disagrees. She tells me it's because I'm a pessimist. And as I get older, I begin to agree with her more. Um, so let me, I'm going to read these 11 verses, and then I'm going to pray, and then, and then we'll jump in. So here we go. And remember, I warned you. Okay. Starting in verse 1. <clears throat> the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where its streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new, it has been already, it is in the ages before. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. The word of the Lord. You pressed yet? Let's pray. Father God, we just uh, come before you this morning and ask as we uh, walk through this text that you would just uh, bring clarity, bring encouragement but also bring to us the reality of things as they are without you. Um, Bless this time. 
It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Um, I'm going to do a slide thing real quick. Here we go. And drop some stuff. You didn't see that. As most of you know, I, I and I talk about this all the time, I guess, I, uh, I was a janitor for a long time. And, and really, the story I always think of that brought me to the place where I realized, oh, I might make an okay janitor was this. Me and my wife were living in uh, Chicago, and I, I worked at a Target. It was a two-floor Target, very big Target. I worked in electronics. And back then, that's when iPods were cool, so I just threw iPods at kids all the time. It was, it was pretty much my job. And, and anyways, I was on break, and... I was heading to break, and I, I, uh, to get to the break room, you have to walk past the bathrooms. And, and so I'm walking past the bathrooms, and the cart attendant, who was a friend of mine at the time, uh, he's, he's looking very distraught. And, and next to him is one of the, uh, the floor managers. And she is also looking distraught, and they look very worried, scared. They're not happy. And so I walk up to him like, uh, what's going on, guys? Is everything okay? And and, and they have the men's room open, the, the doors propped open. And, and the cart attendant's job back then was to not only uh, pick up carts and bring them back into the building, but was also to clean the restrooms. And so he goes, man, I can't do it. They're going to have to fire me. I'm not cleaning up this mess. I won't do it. And the manager's like, well, I'm not going in there. I'm not cleaning that mess up. Ugh, it's really gross. Now, I'm not going to go into detail as to what happened because I don't want to lose y'all right away, okay? But let's just say it wasn't pleasant. And so I'm like, well, let me go take a look. And then so I walk in there and I'm like, "Mm, yeah, that's pretty gross. Give me some gloves. And I cleaned it. Now, they were very happy about that. And I got like some free food for a week and other stuff. But that's how I knew that, oh, okay, I could handle this janitoring thing. And, and plus, in the back of my head at the time, I was like, well, I already have a baby, and I clean diapers. This can't be that bad, right? And, and so for years here at the high school, you know, some years later, I, I end up becoming the janitor of the high school. And, and I've, I worked there for, I think, six, seven years. And one of the things you learn as a janitor is no matter how many times you dust – the dust comes back. No matter how many times I polish, wax, uh, strip and re-wax, scrub, clean, mop, no matter how many times I do those things to the floor, the floor will get dirty again. It'll get scuff marks. It'll get Kool-Aid stains, milk stains, no matter what. It's just the reality of the job. No matter what, I'm going to have to clean that desk again. No matter what, I'm going to have to clean those windows again because the kids, for some reason, can't just touch the push bar to open the door. They have to touch the glass, too. I don't know if it's just a a dare or it's the new cool Gen Z thing to do, but, man, no matter what, there's always fingerprints on the glass. and So I'm going to have to clean it again. Repetition, repetition, repetition. And, And maybe you can relate to that, right? Especially if you've lived for a long time. A lot of life is doing the same thing over and over and over again. A lot of life is doing the laundry again. A lot of life is there's always dishes in the sink that have to be washed. I always eventually am going to have to vacuum or clean 
or fix that broken toilet upstairs that's slowly leaking. That was my thing yesterday. Like there's always some mundane, small, little repetition type thing to do. And it can become wearisome, right? Yeah? It can become burdensome. And so, Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book. And it's not like other wisdom books. And I'll explain what I mean by that. If you start with the Psalms, the Psalms are songs and poems that are emotive and talk about God and life. It's praise to God and kind of what I always enjoyed about the Psalms is it's realistic about the things of life. Like David is always honest when he's like, why have you abandoned me, Lord? Where are you? I love that. I resonate with that. But at the same time, it's always like, but yet I will praise you. Yet I will follow you. And it's this beautiful wrestle in the Psalms. I love it. And then you have the Proverbs, which the Proverbs present a type of wisdom to us where it's if you follow God's will, you do things this certain way and you will be blessed, right? Now, if you misunderstand the Proverbs, you end up maybe becoming cynical to it because... Life doesn't go that way, right? It doesn't. You can do all the best and good things that God wants you to do and follow all the wisdom of Proverbs, and there's really no guarantee that life's going to go the way you want it to or even the way that the Proverbs tell you it will. And Proverbs is honest about that. The Bible is honest about that. But the wisdom is still there, and so it's good for us to know. And so, yes, ah, study the Proverbs. Or you got Job, for instance. Job is another depressing wisdom literature because essentially it is the story of a man who essentially has to suffer to really allow God to prove something and it's it's a wrestle Job is a hard book and at the end of it Job suffers immensely and he finally kind of comes out and complains a little bit if you don't believe me read it after listening to his nagging friends talk to him for like many chapters. Again, depressing book. At the end of it, God essentially comes down to Job and says, yeah, I did that because I can. I'm God. I do what I want. Praise me. You weren't there when I created the world. You weren't there when I put the foundations on the earth. And boom, there's Job. You're welcome. Or maybe you're not welcome. You're like, I don't think I'm going to read Job anytime soon. That sounds really depressing. And then there's Ecclesiastes. A few things about Ecclesiastes that we need to know. Um, most people assume, because the first verse, which I will, well, actually, yeah, I'll show this first. Um, most people have assumed for a long time that it was written by Solomon, because the first verse says, a son of David, king of Jerusalem. But what we understand about it now is that it was most likely written or at least compiled later on after the exile. And so if you're familiar with uh, Israel's history, go Old Testament, uh, you had the time of Solomon when he was king, and then you had all of his sons, and then eventually Israel split into two nations, right? And then eventually those nations collapsed and went into exile. And it is most likely that that's when Ecclesiastes was brought together. And so because of that, the author is really unknown. And most likely, because of the type of uh, wisdom literature that it is, he gives himself a kingly uh, 
authority in his writing, and that's why he says, Son of David, King of Jerusalem. And so what that means is, is that he's trying to portray and speak with authority about this literature. It doesn't mean he's lying. It doesn't mean that he's, like, tricking us. It just means that when the Jews would have seen it at the time, they'd have been like, oh, I need to pay attention. Does that make sense? I know for us we would assume he's lying, but that's not the case, I promise. Um, In the first verse, it says, vanity, or I guess it's the second verse, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. The preacher is literally translated from the Hebrew, quo halet. Say it with me. Just kidding, you don't have to. Quo halet. Now, because we don't know who the author is, most scholars and commentators say, you know what, that's the author's name. We're going to call him Quo Halet, which means the preacher. And Quo Halet is going to be frank and honest at the beginning of this book. He's going to be blunt. And so for the rest of this time, I think I'm going to refer to the author as Quo Halet, if that's okay with you. That's one word I want you to learn. The other one is the word Hebel, Hebel. Hebel? I'm going to go with Hebel. It's like pebble, but with Hebel. Yeah? And that's the Hebrew word for vanity. The word literally translates breath or fleeting, passing vapor. Right? If you saw my picture at the beginning of the slides, you saw a picture of, of like uh, uh, hot springs in the mountains, and you saw the steam going up. You know, it's water converting to steam, and then the steam eventually dissipates into the sky, and it disappears. It's there, and then it's gone. And so this idea of translating the word hebel to breath or fleeting passing vapor is done on purpose. Because some Bible translations have translated it to mean meaningless, which is kind of true, but it's not the full thing. And so I think it's better for us this morning to translate it as the Hebrew is truly translated, which is breath or fleeting, because the word hebel has two purposes or two meanings that I think we need to see as we walk through this text. Because if we don't, if we only focus on the meaningless part of it, well, then it's a really depressing text, right? And I don't think Quahalet meant for that to be the case. All right? So here's what the two meanings of Hebel are. The first one is breath. You think about a breath, it's ha there and then it's gone, right? It's temporary. And so when Quohelet says that life is hebel, he's saying that it's quick. It's fast. You're here, then you're gone, right? I'm here, then I'm gone. We're here for a little bit, then we die, and that's it. There's a reality to that, right? There is a reality to the fact that we are here temporarily. The second meaning is fleeting, meaning this. What Quahalet is trying to get us to see about life is that all of our striving for power, for wealth, for material things, for for just getting so-and-so to love us or just getting such and such to happen, if that one thing will just happen in this life, in this world, in my time, then everything will be okay. It won't. 
That's what he's getting at. He's saying, Hebel is not only that we're temporarily here, then we're gone, but it's also we're trying to grasp at something that isn't going to be grasped. It's fleeting. It's like a breath. It's like the wind. We can't catch it, right? At least with our hands, right? You can't grab the wind and turn it into a rope, and right? I think a cowboy did that in a movie once. Am I wrong? I think that happened. You guys depressed yet? I'm just making sure you're still awake. I'm almost done with my history lesson, I promise. It's the second time I've done that. But I feel like it's important. I feel like it's important for you guys to understand the context of Ecclesiastes because it is a big book. But there's a lot of encouragement in it if, if you know how to read it and understand it. And so, verses 1 through 3, and I'm just going to walk through it real quick, offer a few thoughts And then we'll go about the rest of our day, yeah? The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. Now, that's repeated on purpose, right? Hebrews like repetition, or Jews like repetition. It's how they get their attention. That's why when Jesus preaches, he goes, truly, truly, I say to you. That means, hey, that was a really bad snap. My hands are dry. Listen up. I'm trying to get your attention. Right? That's what that that means. And so when he says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He's trying to get our attention. My question for you is, is, are you paying attention? Are we listening to what this Quillette guy has to say? We don't actually know if that's his name, but I I like it, so we're going to call him Quillette. Maybe I'll call him Et for short. That sounds cool. No? Well, I was going to say hell, but I figured that would be... Never mind. Okay. Vanity of vanities. He's getting our attention. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Now, as we look at this, remember it's a poem. What does man gain when he toils under the sun? Colette's trying to tell us what do we gain... When all we focus on, all our heart's desire is what we're after in this moment. Is our focus just on, I got to get the work done. I got to get the work done. I got to prepare that field for harvest. I got to fix the tractor. I got to get ready for this. I got to take care of my kids. I got to do this thing. I got to do that. It's wearisome, right? There are plenty of days as a janitor where I would just clean the same thing. And there would be days where I'd be like, oh, man, I I just cleaned this dumb room. And I have to do it again? Really? Kind of stinks. I don't like it. But notice what the focus is on. What gain is there from all this toil? He's focusing on the toil. He's focusing on the work, right? Let's keep going. Now, <clears throat> this is the fun part, right? He's going to break out and he's going to talk about the world and how it moves and works. And it's going to kind of paint a depressing picture. But I want you to remember, what is he focusing on? Here we go. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. 
Essentially, he's saying, hey, the sun goes up and down over and over again, and it never stops, right? It just does the same thing every day. That sun must be real bored because it just over and over again. Doesn't sound like a fun existence, just going up and down all day, every day, doing the same thing. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Same with the wind. It does the same thing over and over and over again. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. Same with water, right? All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. You ever thought about that? It's like the river runs into the ocean, and the ocean never, like, overfills. It just keeps going. The water just keeps on running into the ocean, and nothing's changed. Still the same. Oh, sure, we got a little erosion. Cool, that happens. Grand Canyon, that's pretty. The water's still running, and that's it. But again, do you see what Quilhalet is focusing on? All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the stream flows, there they will flow again. I added Romans 8 into here because I think it's... Well, here, I'll just read it and I'll explain. For creation waits... And this is Paul speaking in Romans, okay? For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the Son of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and abstain or sorry, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It's an interesting picture that Paul points, paints for us, and I, and I think it's the same thing that Mr. Quahollet here in Ecclesiastes is trying to paint for us, right? The earth, because of the sin and fallenness of the world, because of our sin and fallenness, has been subjected to futility. The sun goes up, the sun goes down. The wind blows to the south and blows to the north, and it just just blows. It seems at times there's really no purpose in it, right? It's futile. Or it seems futile. Now, Paul points out something that I'm going to later point out here in a second, so it kind of gives it away. It's waiting for something to happen, right? And so maybe the futility that the earth is experiencing, despite its futility, the waiting kind of gives it a hope and a purpose, right? Maybe. Let's keep going. 8 through 10. All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The eye is never satisfied, right? Remember, this is poetry, right? But we can relate to it, can we not? Um, I enjoy watching TV. I'm like one of those 90s kids, I think, where I'm technically an 80s kid, but I was born in 88, so that's like two years of 80s and then 90s. But I still call myself an 80s kid, but nonetheless, I'm a 90s kid. So I, I had the beauty of kind of watching technology become what it is today, but still having to like play outside, which is kind of cool, because I did a lot. But I also really enjoyed watching TV. And here's the thing about watching TV. 
eventually a really good show ends. Now what? What am I going to do? Right? If you're into watching TV shows, right? I'm not satisfied. I want more. Men, and maybe women too, we find our spouse, but deep down in our hearts, we're never truly, what, satisfied. There's a side of us that goes, oh, no, 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 I could, or this could be better, or, well, that lady's really nice, what if, right? I hope I didn't offend anybody, but it's true. Because in our heart of hearts, we are not satisfied. Our eyes are never satisfied. Our mouths are never satisfied. Our ears are never satisfied. Our bodies, we're always wanting and grasping for more. Kohelet is calling out life for what it is, right? And I would say he's doing it beautifully, but when we look at it, we're kind of down about it. We're like, I I don't like what he's calling me out on right now. You're telling me I'm never satisfied? What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There's another fun fact, right? There's nothing new. Like, we can be like, hey, I have the World Wide Web in my back pocket with a wealth of information whenever I need it. But that was a book before that. Just saying. It's just a fancy book. Ain't nothing new. Oh, but you can talk on your phone. Yeah, we've been doing that for a long time. We talk already. It's just another form of something that already exists, right? Such is everything. But again, remember what he's focusing on. He's focusing on the now. He's focusing on the world, right? I'm getting to the hope part, I promise. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us, right? He's just drawn out this point, like there's nothing new. Don't you kind of want to just take this Kohelet fella and give him a big hug? and be like, It's going to be okay, man. It's all right. We're going to get through this. No, maybe I'm alone in that. I, I want to. But, but maybe you see what he's saying. Maybe you've been in a place in life where you find yourself, like Quahalet, looking at the world and just being like, oh, it's futile. What's the point? I feel that way sometimes. Um, you know, I, I've been doing youth ministry for, I don't know, six years here now, officially. Yeah. I know only full time for a year, but seven? I don't know. I can't keep track anymore. In that time, I've worked with a lot of students in this town. I've loved, I've served, I've ministered to, I've preached the gospel to, I've had fun with, I've built relationships with. And sometimes I get discouraged, right? Like there was a a girl who committed suicide a few months ago. That really hit me hard because it was a kid that was in this building that I preached the gospel to and I prayed for and she's gone And if all I do is focus on that, what's the point? There's another kid. He was the first kid I ever baptized. Worked with him for a few years. 
Yeah, he just moved away. And now he's gone. Probably, most likely, won't ever see him again. I mean, maybe. We'll see what happens. But do you see what I'm focusing on? My eyes in ministry are never satisfied. My ears are never satisfied. I always want more if all I do is focus on the now. And that's the point I'm trying to make. And I believe that's the point that Quahalet's trying to make. Some arguments are made about Ecclesiastes that are that these wise sayings were written long ago and later on after the exile, this Quahalet guy compiled them together into what they are. And then throughout the whole book, it's only 12 chapters, he kind of adds his own thing in at the end. Um, actually, in 12, right at the end of the book, it's almost as if someone else is talking and he says, no, Jeremy, not Song of Solomon. Don't scare him away. Here we go. Right at the end. He's been... He's been compiling these writings and these wise sayings, these depressing sayings that kind of make us aware of the reality of life. And then he says in 12:13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. Do you see what has happened? It has switched. And actually, just let me go through verse 11 and then I'll finish that thought. Verse 11, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will, will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. How many of you in this room can name your great, 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 great grandfather? Anybody? How about your great, great, great grandfather? Hmm? Know who he was, what he did, how he lived his life, who he married, how many kids he had? What his favorite type of food was? You don't, do you? The hard part about life is that's going to be us. It's hard. Now, here's the point in all this. You ready? One, if all we do is focus on the things of this world, we will get lost in futility. It's just the truth. If all I can do is focus on so-and-so died, what was the point in my ministry context, right? Well, so-and-so moved away. What's the point of doing all this? I put in all this work into this kid. He just leaves in the middle of me discipling him. Ah, it's depressing. I'm out. But there's a bigger picture, right? There's a zoom out. See God in it, right? If we go back and look at all of these things, and we even go back and look at what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, right? He goes, it was subjected to futility in hopes that it would be renewed someday. And that's where the gospel comes in, right? Because maybe that's what you're asking. I'm going through Ecclesiastes, and where is the gospel in all this? Where does Christ come in? But the awesome part is, is that Christ is the ultimate fulfillment, i.e. he's the one that's going to fix the futility that we experience now and that Quahalet experienced when writing Ecclesiastes. He's going to fix it. He did fix it. And one day he's going to come back and actually fix it. 
And so that gives the world hope. That gives us hope. So now when I dust the same thing that always eventually gets dust on it, I do it in hopes that someday there won't be any dust. But there's another thing going on there too, right? I can't tell you. So when I imagined my life when I was younger and I was preparing to go into ministry because I just, for whatever reason, was like, all right, I know God is inching me there. He's calling me there. I never pictured it going the way that it did, all right, or even is now. Like, let me be honest with you. I never was like, you know what? I want to work at the church I grew up in. No, not even for a second. No offense. But I, when I was in high school, I had that mentality. I, I need to get out of Big Sandy. Like, oh, I'm out. never going to see this small hoedown town again. Gone. Peace. And here I am. Hi. How you doing? Good to see you. I never imagined that life was going to go that way. I never imagined that I would have to live with the futility of cleaning the same room that I attended high school in over and over again. It was hard. But you know what it did? It humbled me. And I'm not sitting here saying, like, I'm the humblest dude that ever lived. I'm actually quite arrogant to ask my wife sometimes. But it's done some work. It built character in me because it helped me to be okay with the mundane things in life. Because in the mundane, God, more times than not, reveals himself to me in it. Yeah, I have to dust the same thing over and over again. I got a job. I get paid to dust things. Thank you for providing for me, Lord. In the high school context, I get to see those kids every day, whether they want to see me or not. There I am. Yes, it's a blessing. Do you see what happens? We look at the words of Quohelet, and on one end we go, and actually I think it's good, and I think this is why Ecclesiastes is in the Bible. It needs to be. Because it reminds us of the reality of the world. We are subjected to futility. We are in a humdrum over and over again. No one's going to remember me 200 years from now. Like That is just the reality of things. And we need to hear it from time to time. We need to be reminded of it. It's a hard truth, but it's still the truth. But we also, in that, need to see that there is hope because of what Christ did and what he is doing. Because one, he's going to fix it all someday. Heaven isn't going to be us with halos in the clouds. Heaven is going to be us physically on a renewed, sinless earth. Honestly, I hope I have earned enough crowns or whatever so that I can at least flip burgers in glory. Because I'm imagining they're going to be pretty tasty without the consequence afterwards because of my glorified body. I don't know. I just, things I think about. Sorry. But there's hope because there will be a future. We need to know the reality. We need to be aware of it, right? But we also need to know that there's hope in it. And this is what it does for us now, right? Because there's that future hope. There's the reality of Quahalet's sayings. Like we need to know that this world is futile, humdrum over and over again. 
We need to see that, yes, but Christ came and he's going to renew it and he fixed it and he's going to fix it and he is fixing it. And, you know, wrestle with that sometime. It's a, it's a fun little already but not yet thing. Anyways. But what, what about now? What about us now? What do we do with this now? The gospel changes our perspective in how we live our life now. I don't live in the humdrum futility of life anymore. This life that I am living now is preparing me for the glory that is to come. I'm being prepared, right? I have to deal with whiny, pouty, ungrateful children whom I love dearly now in preparation that they will one day grow up to love and serve God with everything that they have. At least that's my hope. Right? I get up every day and brush my teeth because I know that one day, well, let's be honest, my teeth are going to fall out, but I'm going to keep them for as long as I can. Do you see the perspective change? This life isn't just futility. God is in it. He is intimately and personally involved in everything that you're doing, and he loves you, and he wants relationship with you, and he wants to be a part of everything you're doing, big and small. And if you take him out of it, then it becomes the blunt words of Kohelet, right? What is the point? Why it feels so bad for like, uh, you know, people who aspire to Nietzsche's philosophy. You ever read Nietzsche? He's a philosopher. He's really depressing. Like he took, he took that idea to its fullest. Well, there is no God, so what's the point? Like he was just very depressing. And you see what he did? He, he took God out of it. So, here's what I want to challenge you guys with today, and, and I'll let you go. We look at the words of Ecclesiastes. Are you coming to church just to go to church? Humdrum of life. Just doing my thing. And that's all you're focused on. Or is God so intimately involved in the day-to-day of your life that you're coming to church because you're needing to be filled with his words so that you can go back out? Do you see the difference? Why are you here? What are you doing? Change your perspective. See that the gospel of Christ, Him saving you, wretched sinner, from your sins and making you a new creation, this life you live now is preparation for the future. Everything you do, everything you go through, everything you suffer is preparing you for that future. Are you thinking about it like that? Or is this life just, well, I go to church on Sundays. Got to do my farm work. The challenge becomes for us is, is, is you actually have to think about it. And you actually have to, like, engage and go, what? am I like Kohelet in this instance? Am I just focusing on, or is there something bigger? Am I remembering the bigger picture? And I challenge you to do that this week, as I will challenge myself, because even a guy in ministry who 
gets to open God's word pretty much every day and, and teach and, and love and serve. Like I, I get in the humdrum too. I have to remind myself as well. Let's pray and I'll let you guys go. Father God, we just thank you for this time. These words are hard. These words reveal things about our hearts that we don't want to address. But I pray that we would. I pray for each person in here this morning that they would be willing to engage their hearts and minds and ask themselves the questions that need to be asked. And, Lord, that you would help them to change and shift their perspective so they see you in the big and small things of life. That they can be grateful for the mundane things they have to go through day after day after day because you're in it and you're with them and you're preparing them and you're using their hurts and their flaws and their weaknesses and their repetition works and all those things to, to grow them. And to help them fall further and deeper in love with you. And I pray that that's what would happen this week. That you would just nurture and love and reveal yourself to them as they go through the humdrum of life. That they would both see the reality of the world. But then see you in it. Giving us hope. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Have a good week.